I want to talk this morning about maturity. I want to talk about what it looks like for us to grow. I think most of us would agree that there is all a sense that we have some room for improvement, right? And if somebody calls you immature, if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I see some areas of your life that don't look right, do we usually take that as a compliment or as an insult? If somebody comes up to you and says, I see some immaturity in you, normally we take that as, a, as an insult, right? Like, for example, my wife came up to me a while ago, and she's like, you're, you're, you're so immature. And I'm like, whatever, you can get out of my fort. Gosh. We don't like to be called immature, right? So the question we have to ask ourselves, and the question I want to ask you this morning, is what does a mature person look like? Just raise your hand and give me some ideas. What does a mature person look like? We don't have many mature people here. We don't know how to define it. What is a mature person? I wrote some of these things down. I would say a mature person, you're pointing to Ben Rodriguez. There we go. That's a great example of maturity. <laughs> Sorry, Ben. I wrote a few of these things down. I would say that a mature person is someone who is humble. Someone who is humble and they recognize their imperfections. They recognize their growth, but there's this humility about a mature person. They're not arrogant. I would say uh, a mature person and this is one I'm growing in, is someone who listens more than they talk, right? You have around that person, and all they do is talk, and you're like, yeah, that's not a very mature person. I would look and I would say that a mature person is someone who has achieved a couple things in life. And so, for example, when I'm looking at my profession, I'm a pastor. If I'm looking for a pastor who has accomplished a few things, I see some maturity and I want to learn from them. I want to be around them. I want to gain from them. I find the same thing in marriage when I'm looking at how do I be a better husband. I want to find someone who has been a good husband longer than I have. And I want to be around them. I want to learn from them. I want to ask them questions. Same thing as a parent. Same thing in all these different areas of life. You want to learn from them to be like them. The question that we need to ask, ask ourselves this morning, we are in church this morning, is what is a spiritually mature person look like? What does it look like for a person to have spiritual maturity? This is a very important question that we need to deal with uh, this morning because a lot of times, a lot of times we base spiritual maturity on spiritual activity or on giftings. And so when we look at somebody, we see someone, we step into church, and we see this guy up front, and he's got a microphone and a music stand in front of him. And we see that he is very funny and good-looking and engaging and all these things. And so we, uh, he's gifted. He must be spiritually mature, right? Or we look at somebody who, who's always busy, somebody who's at church every time the doors are open, Somebody's always doing something. They're always serving. They're always doing something. We look at somebody who's very busy with spiritual activity, and we say, that person has some spiritual maturity. We look at our worship team up here. We look at uh, the, these worship leaders and how gifted they are. They must be spiritually mature because they're up there singing, and they have such a gift. And this is why it's important that we understand what it actually means to be spiritually mature. What it looks like for us to grow as a Christian. Because undoubtedly what happens in every one of our lives, at one point we come to the point in life 
where maybe life gets a little difficult. Maybe there's some ongoing sin in our life. Maybe there's some difficult circumstance. Maybe we're just looking for some inspiration. Maybe we're trying to figure out, God, I just, I just need your presence. I need your blessing. I need to know you're with me. I become to the point where we're saying, well, I need to become a little bit more mature. I need to grow. I need to grow in my faith. I need to, I need to grow deeper with God. And again, if we have this idea of spiritual maturity is all about spiritual activity, what do we do? We step into church and we get really busy doing churchy things. And what we're going to find is it doesn't deal with the, the root issue. It doesn't deal deep enough. The past couple of weeks here at Restoration Church, we've been in the book of Colossians in the, in the New Testament. And there's a, a church in the city called Colossae, uh, and they had this similar conversation going on. What does it look like for us to be spiritually mature? How do we grow in our faith? How do we grow as a Christian? How do we get to the point where we find maturity, where we can live a life that is full of, of God's blessings in our life? And, and there's a group of people in that church, a group of false teachers, and they began to include these ideas on, on we know the keys to spiritual maturity. If you want to be spiritually mature, then you need to do just what we do, just what we say. And so the passage that Janice read for us this morning that we're going to look at today is Paul is addressing this group of false teachers. And they're saying, these false teachers are saying, if you're going to be spiritually mature, then you have to have all this spiritual activity. You've got to be so busy. And what would happen is these spiritual, uh, or these false teachers, as they're so busy doing all their spiritual things, if you couldn't keep up with them, if you couldn't match them, then there would be judgment that would be cast on you, that you'd be considered an immature Christian, that you wouldn't be on par with them, and there'd be judgment on you because you weren't as good as they were. And Paul is going to correct that false view of maturity. And Paul is going to tell us exactly what spiritually mature, spiritual maturity looks like. Uh, he's going to tell us exactly how do we grow in our faith? How do we get to the point that we, we, we know God a little bit deeper? How do we get to the point where we have his peace in our lives? How do we get to the point where we can begin to overcome sin and begin to change and see things improve? And Paul is going to tell us exactly how to do that. But before he does that, he's going to... Uh, give us what spiritual maturity is not. He's going to address what these false teachers were teaching. The first thing that uh, he, he addresses, verse 16. Paul says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or in drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And the first thing he's going to say is spiritual maturity is not keeping a bunch of rules. It's not keeping a bunch of religious rules of do this and don't do that. Don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls who do. He's saying that's not what spiritual maturity is. Because there was that group in that church and they had these Old Testament commands. They had these Old Testament commands, these Old Testament laws that said this kind of food is allowed and this kind of food is not allowed. And they had these special, special festival days, special holidays, and you had to observe these ceremonial holidays. And you could only, uh, the Sabbath was only allowed to be practiced on the seventh day of the week on Saturday. And so you can, you can imagine that for them, if you were a mature person, there's no way that you would go and, and have a, a, a plate of bacon and drink a little bit of wine because that would be 
spiritual maturity. Now, let me just say, I think bacon is maturity. I think if you are downing the bacon, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. But this is, this is the idea of what these false teachers are saying. If you're going to be mature, if you're going to grow, then there's all these rules you've got to keep, all these things you've got to do. The interesting thing is it wasn't just back at the church of Colossia. It also happens in our day and age as well. That when you walk into church, sometimes you have this feeling like, well, they expect me to dress a certain way. They expect me to talk a certain way. There's certain things I can drink, certain things I cannot drink. In fact, when I was a younger Christian, I remember I spent a very awkward season of my life where I wore these suit jackets that were way too big for me. I couldn't afford the ones that fit me, so I got the ones that were too big for me. And I wore them to church, and I called everybody brother because, well, that's the way that they talk. That's the expectation is I got to dress in my Sunday best, and I got to talk a certain way. And that meant that I was in. That meant that I was growing in my faith. That meant that I was a mature Christian. I was trying to fit in to the culture around me. But let me ask you this. How many of you ever stepped into church? You stepped into church and immediately you felt judged. Because maybe you didn't dress like everybody else did. Maybe maybe you didn't talk the way that, maybe your hair was a little bit different than everybody else. And you feel judged because you don't fit the standard of what they say. This is what a good Christian person is supposed to be like. Because you don't follow all the rules that we follow. Let me just be fair to these guys. I think their motivation, it's not wrong. Their motivation was to, uh, a desire to obey all that God had commanded them. And that's probably something that some of us would benefit to consider. But the problem is when we take our faith and we limit it to being a list of rules to follow, we begin to miss out on the deeper things that God has for us. We miss out that God is, is, is not as concerned with our sacrifice and our religious conformity as he is with our heart. That more than those things, he wants our heart to be directed to him and surrendered to him. Because that is where holiness and maturity and growth is going to come from. Not from all this religious rule keeping. The second, group of false, second thing that the false teachers were teaching that Paul addresses, verse 18. He says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism, which means a rigorous self-denial to prove your spirituality. He said, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail. See, not only was it there was these religious rules you had to follow and you had to keep, but they also pushed that if you're going to be spiritually mature, that you're going to have all these spiritual experiences, right? These spiritual experiences, it said the worship of angels. Some believe maybe they were actually worshiping angels, but many scholars look at that text and say they believe that their worship was so good, that their worship music, their worship team, it was so good, it was kind of like the kind of worship music that angels would have engaged in. And so when they're saying worship of angels, they're saying we are so elevated, we are so spiritual, we are so holy, our worship is so good that we are on par with angels. The rest of you, you guys are mundane. Like your worship is just mundane, but we are way up here. 
literally in heaven. And because we are so spiritual, because our worship is so intense, we have this special direct line to God where God gives us special revelations and special visions because we are so close to God and we're so spiritual. And it wasn't just having visions. It says that they were going on in detail. Kind of get the idea of someone who's always talking about himself. He's boasting. They're trying to impress people. Say, look how special we are. Look how, how spiritual we are because we have all of these spiritual experiences. Again, this isn't just something that happened in the church of Colossia. This is something that we see in our day and age. I've got a friend that I uh, used to do ministry with at Madison House. Good guy. Love the guy. And he would talk to me about his church. And he would say, listen, our church, you've got to come because we schedule these encounters. We have these encounters and we want you to come and have this encounter where you can encounter the supernatural, where you can come and experience God on a deeper level than you've ever experienced before. Come and have this experience with us. There are other groups that would say, hey, hey, if you're going to spiritually mature, then you've got to have these spiritual gifts, right? Have you ever been to a church that says, if you're going to be a mature Christian, then you've got to speak in tongues or do some of these supernatural gifts? And it's this idea that if you're spiritually mature, you're going to have these spiritual experiences. And this is what guides and dictates your maturity, your growth in God. And look what Paul says about that. Look what Paul says about these spiritual experiences. He says, they go on in detail about visions. They sound impressive. They sound spiritual. But he says, they are puffed up without reason by their sensuous mind. Their sensuous mind. That is a mind that is governed by a sinful nature. Ultimately, that is a mind that is rooted in pride. One of the things I'm excited for here at Restoration Church is this fall, uh, this fall, we're going to go through a series and have a conversation about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about what the Holy Spirit is, how it lives in our lives, leading up to a conversation about spiritual gifts and how we can discern our spiritual gifts. And so I've spent the summer reading and studying and preparing my heart for this series to, to have this conversation about the Holy Spirit. And I'm excited for this conversation. It's going to be hopefully challenging for some of us and hopefully eye-opening for, for others of us. But one of the things that I have seen about the Holy Spirit time and time and time again, and I think it's completely relevant to what Paul is saying right here, is the Holy Spirit, he's a bashful member of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit never is boasting about himself. He's never boasting about his experience. The Holy Spirit, again, this is where you, you look at him. He's never about him. He's never about the person having the experience. The Holy Spirit constantly bears witness about Jesus. Scripture, the Holy Spirit constantly points to Jesus, constantly says it's about him. It's not about me. It's not about my experience. It's not about what I've just had. It's constantly about Jesus. What are the marks of us being filled by the Holy Spirit? What are the marks that we are growing in godliness? What are the marks that we are growing in maturity? Is there is a modesty about our experience that focuses on Jesus and not ourselves? And not our experience, it focuses on Jesus and him alone. So these are the two ideas that, that, that these false teachers are saying, hey, if you're going to be mature, 
You're going to come to church and grow in your faith and, and, and grow. You have to keep all these rules and you've got to have these spiritual experiences. How many of you been in a church and that's kind of been the expectation? You've got the list of rules you've got to follow. You've got the experiences you've got to go and have. And so this is what you do. You pursue these things. But here's what Paul's going to say. First to those who think we have to keep the rules. He says in verse 17, he says, these These religious rules, these dietary restrictions, these whatever they are, they are a shadow of the things to come. But he says, but the substance belongs to Christ. They are a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. What is a shadow? What is a shadow? A shadow is a glimpse of the real thing. It's an outline of the real thing that leads you to the real thing. The dietary laws, all those special holidays in the Old Testament, they were designed to point us to Jesus. They were designed to point us to Jesus as the bread of life, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the, ones, the one who was, who is, and is to come. They are a shadow pointing us to Christ. Let me tell it to you like this. Imagine this, okay? Imagine I convinced you that I had a little bit of a James Bond inside of me. And I convinced you to loan me $300,000 so I could buy an Ashton Martin. Could you picture me driving the Ashton Martin with one hand on the wheel? Uh, I could picture it. Imagine I convince you to, to give me $300,000. You're going to loan me $300,000. And I'm going to drop this little document for you that has the, the repayment plan for, for you, right? That's probably a valuable document to you, right? You probably want that document. You'd probably want me to sign it. You'd probably want me to take it to the post office and get it notarized. And that document saying, you owe me this money, is probably precious to you, right? There's a lot of value. You'll probably take care of that document, right? If you don't, come see me after church and we'll talk about doing this for real. It sounds like a good idea. Okay, so it'd be wise for you to safeguard that document. Now let's just imagine that later, a while later, I come to you and I've got $375,000 in cash. Where I got the cash, I don't know. But I've got $375,000. That is the loan plus interest. And I come and I give you and I hold it out for you. And I'm like, here's your money. Imagine if you said, no thanks. I just, I love this promissory note. This document that you made for me, it's precious to me. I've held on to it for so long. This promissory note, this, this document you made for me, you even signed it. You even notarized it. Oh, it's so special to me. I'm just going to hold on to this. You can keep the money. I'm just going to keep this. That would be a little ridiculous, right? be a little ridiculous to do that. And this is what Paul is saying. That when we hold to these religious rules, these things, we are holding on to a promissory note that is supposed to point us to the object, point us to the subject. This is kind of like your wife gives you a little taste of the spaghetti sauce before dinner. You're like, I'm good. No, you got to go get the rest of dinner. you got to get the real thing. you got to put it on the noodles and eat it all together. And this is the point that, that the Colossians needed to hear. This is the point that you and I need to hear this morning. That we can be so busy running around, trying to be religious, trying to follow all the rules, trying to have all this spiritual activity without ever realizing that external religious conformity is a terrible substitute for Jesus. 
that all of our religious conformity, all of our rules, all of our spiritual activity is a terrible substitute for Jesus. Jesus is the subject. He's the object. He's the one that all these rules are supposed to point to. Following rules never saved a single sinner. Following rules never changed a person's heart. This is why the substance is Christ. Christ is the one that we need. Christ is the one that will change you. He is the one we're supposed to be pursuing, not just his spiritual activity. We're supposed to be pursuing Christ and Christ alone. And to the experience seekers, to the people seeking the spiritual experiences, the people that say, we engage in angelic worship. We've got a hotline to God. We've got these crazy visions, and we're really spiritual people. This is what Paul would say to them, verse 19. Not holding fast to the head. Those people are all about the hype. All about the excitement. All about the experience, but they're not about Jesus. Can a body survive without a head? I'm not talking about a chicken. I'm talking about, can a body survive without a head? No. No. We are the, we, we, the church, not a location, the people. We are the, the body. And if we aren't holding on to Christ, Christ is said, if we aren't holding on to that, we're doomed. We are doomed. We've got to hold on to the head. We've got to hold on to Christ. In fact, this is what Jesus said in John chapter 15. He said it with different imagery. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, whoever holds on to the head, whoever holds on to Jesus, he is the one who bears fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So we've got to understand if we want to have growth, we want to experience the, 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 the promises that God offers us, the, the peace, the joy, the purpose. If we want to overcome sin, if we want to change, if we want to overcome pride and anger and lust and all these things, it's not the result of behavior modification. It's not a, the result of having a bunch of rules to follow. It doesn't happen as a result of having experiences where your emotions can be stirred. In fact, here's exactly what Paul says, verse 19. He says, holding fast to the head, holding fast to Jesus, from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, and it grows with a growth that is from God. Did you hear that? Holding fast to the head, we grow with a growth that is from God. That's the key. That when we look at maturity, when we look at growth, when we look at going deeper with God, it comes from holding fast to Jesus. That as we abide in him, as we trust him, as we follow him, as we, we serve him, as we delight in him, as we adore him above everything else, as we hold fast to him, that leads to growth in our lives that comes from God. It comes from us abiding in him, pursuing him. So we don't walk into church trying to be really spiritual and have all this spiritual activity. We don't walk into church and try and have these experiences. No, we walk into church and we're looking for Jesus. 
We're looking to connect with him and allow him to speak, allow him to guide, allow him to, to minister to us. And this is important here at Restoration Church. Because whether you are a newer believer, seeking things out, maybe you're here today because you're trying to figure out life and you're like, man, i got to get some of this God stuff in my life. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. This is something that you and I both need to hear. Because if you look at what Paul said, look at verse 16 and verse 18. He said, verse 16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you if you don't keep all the rules. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you. See, for those of us that have been a Christian for a long time, there's this temptation that comes. This temptation that, that puts your experience and your, your, your convictions as the epitome of maturity. That we look and say, well, this is the way that I live my life. And if you're going to be a mature Christian, you've got to do it just like I do. You've got to look like me. You've got to talk like me. You've got to walk like me. You've got to be like me. And it is a temptation. It is a temptation for those of us. Uh, it is a temptation for those of us who've been Christians for a long time to look down on other people who don't follow the same convictions as you do, whose life doesn't look the same as yours. Listen, we have worked hard at Restoration Church to create a different kind of culture, a culture of love. A culture that values diversity. A culture that is, is welcoming. Listen, you can have your religious convictions. Paul never condemns them. He doesn't say, you can't have these convictions. No, actually what he says is, don't judge, don't you dare judge anybody else based on your convictions. Here at Restoration Church, our role our goal, the culture that we are trying to create is not a culture that pushes you to religious activity. It's not a culture that says you've got to form, conform, and, and, and follow all the rules. Our culture isn't that you come and have these experiences. Our culture, what we are, are desperately trying to do, is not to point you towards religion. We're trying to point you towards Jesus. Our goal is that you would come in every week and be confronted with who he is. That he would speak to you, that you would desire him more, that you would follow him, that you would seek after him, that, that, that you would recognize that, that we love you just as you are, but we are going to point you to Jesus. That I don't care where you came from, I don't care what your last night looked like, I don't care what your last week was, we're going to come and point us, every one of us, to Jesus, because that's where growth comes from. Not from dressing the part and acting the part. And following the rules, it comes from us pursuing Jesus and him alone. The reality of it, and this is why we're so passionate about this, is imagine if I took your very worst day in your life, and you think about that moment in your life, the one that fills you with shame, the one that you're completely embarrassed about, the worst day in your life. The one that if we were to play the video on this screen right here, that you would probably run and hide and never come out again because people saw you at your worst. The reality of it is, the reality, I can't speak, man. The reality of it is, God has seen you at your worst and he still chose to love you. He still chose to send Jesus to the cross for you to pay the penalty for your sin. Not so that we can follow a bunch of rules, 
Not so we can come and try and have these spiritual experiences, but so that we would love him, so that we would choose him, so that we would desire him, so that we would surrender to him. Not so we can follow a bunch of rules, but that we would actually have him. That is the key. The gospel is there. What Jesus did for us is not to conform us to a bunch of rules, but that we would pursue him. That we were once dead in Christ. We were alive to sin and Satan. But because of what Jesus has done for us, when we place our faith in him, that we are united to Christ in his life and his death. And now we can be alive in him. And this is where Paul goes. As we, as a people who hold on to him, who hold on to his grace and his love, that that's where this growth comes from. This is what Paul says, verse 20. He says, If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive to this world, do you submit to the regulations? Do not handle do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that are all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. You ever notice that the religious person who keeps all the rules, the person who has all these religious convictions and all these lots of rules, do you ever notice how sometimes, oftentimes, they are hiding the worst patterns of sin and secret shame in their life? The person who comes in and and has all these judgments on you, you've got to go and you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you've got to do all these things. You ever notice how sometimes that person is the one that is hiding the most sin behind closed doors? Often the stricter the person's rules are, the more judgmental they become. The nastier they are to the people around them. That's why they're legalists. Because they're overcompensating. For what's going on behind closed doors. And this is what Jesus, this is what Paul would say is in light of what Jesus has done, in light of his supremacy, in light of the sufficiency of what Jesus did on the cross, why then would we turn back to man-made religion? In light of all Jesus is, why would we turn back to the shadow when we can have the substance? See, the, the issue is, 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 is we think our problem is, is ex, external. Our problem isn't external. Our problem is internal. The problem is our heart. Our heart is desperately wicked. This is why man-made religion, this is why ex, external behavior modification is never enough. This is why maturity is not external works that prove our righteousness. Maturity is our hearts recognizing just how wicked we are. And maturity then holds on to Christ, leans into him, desires to know him deeper, desires to pursue him, desires to follow him. And that's when our heart changes. That is maturity. If you want to know what maturity is, maturity is when we work from our righteousness, not for it. Right? A godly person A growing person is someone who works out of our righteousness, who doesn't work for our righteousness. Verse 23, Paul says, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Paul concludes, and he admits how attractive it is. 
He admits how attractive that the rules and the spiritual experiences, how sometimes there's some pull towards it, right? Sometimes we're, we're drawn towards those things, right? I mean, how many times has this happened in your life? Struggling through sin, struggling with a lack of peace, wanting God's direction but feeling like he's not there, wanting God's presence, and you're like, i got to get serious about God. And so what do you do? You step into church and you start serving. You step in and you start looking for a behavior strategy, three ways to never sin like that again. You begin to pursue those things until, boom, you find yourself in the same place again. You just did the sin that you never said you were going to do again. You find yourself without that peace, without that direction, because you are missing out on the substance. You're missing out on the head. It's never to be about religious activity. It's never to be about rules and things to do. It's supposed to be about Christ. That we come in and we pursue Him. We desire to know Him. Desire to follow Him. Desire to understand what He has for us. Listen, I don't know what it is you need today. I don't know what brought you to Restoration Church this morning. I don't know what God is doing in your life. But I think we needed to hear this. Maturity isn't religious conformity. Maturity isn't spiritual experiences. Maturity isn't just looking the part. It's meeting Jesus. It's pursuing Him. It's making Him ultimate. You know why it seems hard to sometimes follow this? You know why we're often drawn and pulled towards religious conformity and, and all those other things? Because the gospel almost seems too simple. Like, God, are you really saying that all I have to do to overcome sin, all I have to do to have your presence is just seek you? Just, just follow? Like, it almost seems too simple. And so we revert back to the things that don't do anything for us. And Paul is calling all of, the, all of us in this room today back to the substance, back to the head. And if you want what God has for you, it's all about pursuing Him because that's where that growth comes from. Whatever it is that God needs to do in you today, whatever it is that God needs to do in you this week, it doesn't come from you coming with a behavior plan to improve your behavior. It comes from aligning your heart to Jesus. Let's pray.